Echoplex Media, boom. Yeah. Uh-huh.
everybody, welcome to Down Ballot is the flagship uh, podcast of adjusting your video ninja settings so that they do not cook your co-host's laptop. I'm producer Dave. You can find me on Grinder. This is the councilman. I think you can find me here unless my laptop has completely caught fire and I'm living in the fourth dimension. Um, so can you hear me now? I can. I've been able to hear you since you started talking. Yay, fantastic. Well, um, welcome everybody. Welcome producer Dave. It's great to be with you as always. 7.30 p.m. Pacific right here on the Plex. And uh, we got a lot to dig into tonight. It's going to be a real fun time. Um, there's a lot of developing in local. So the down battle thicker, but um, we're going to lead off with a story that you found uh, on the internet. And uh, it was, has to do with uh, the local public transportation uh, situation and what it's going to look like in the future, if it's going to have a future. Yeah, what I'm seeing is not great. That seems to be the headline, um, but uh, I suppose we'll find out more from the story. California state leaders are looking at long-term ways to try to prevent transportation service cuts after ridership tanked during the pandemic and hasn't recovered. Our conference, Justin Campbell, has more now on today's meeting at the Bay Area Metro Center as state leaders uh, get involved and try to keep public transportation going. Justin? Yeah, that's right, Ken and Vicky. Simply the problem is there's just not enough riders right now on public transportation. Huge part of the Bay Area elected officials don't want transportation cuts despite facing millions of dollars in a funding gap. BART has only 50% of the riders compared to pre-pandemic levels. Government money stabilized BART and other Bay Area transit systems during the pandemic. But those dollars are running out. We see a fiscal cliff where ridership hasn't fully recovered and there are not other sources of revenue to compensate uh, for that continued loss. State Senator Scott Weiner says public transportation in the Bay Area is at a crossroads. Less riders and remote work have led to a slow recovery to pay for public transportation. Senator Weiner says one idea he suggested was legislation he introduced to temporarily raise bridge tolls to pay for the gap. I hit the pause button on that bill. Senator Weiner and other transportation officials started a discussion on Monday at Bay Area Metro Center to discuss the problem and also heard from riders themselves. Very concerning as a transit rider, we're already seeing buses and trains crowded. Um, it's really good to hear the stories from the transit agencies about what they are doing to improve safety and cleanliness. Senator Weiner says if the physical cliff is not addressed by 2026, transportation cuts. The physical cliff. If we yeah. Continue the <laughs> of major transit. I'd really fuck things up, actually, if there's a physical cliff on the on the BART line. <laughs> it would. Something out of a Coyote, Wiley Coyote movie. Uh, we will all pay the price and reduce mobility, increased traffic, uh, working class and low income people being trapped and having no way to get around and completely tanking our climate goals. Elected officials today in that meeting are saying basically the time is now. You don't want to wait six months until 2024 until that deadline. That's why it's important that they discuss this topic right now. Live here in the studio, Justin Campbell. Back to you, Ken and Vicky. I mean, shouldn't uh, we as a society just accept that public transit is um, going to, uh, it's a service, not a business, right? It is a government service. Should be treated as such, yes. And uh, uh, it should be noted that they've seen a lot of BART here um, because of its struggles with fare recovery, quote unquote. 
Caltrain actually um, does fantastic with fare recovery. I think they're over 100% fare recovery. So basically Caltrain pays for itself. So a well-run transit system in the Bay Area will be successful um, as long as it goes where people want to go and they're willing to you know, put down the money and uh, figure out the schedule, the timetables and make it work for themselves, right? Um, it's about convenience and ease and cost. So um, if they can figure all that out, you know, they can make it work. But to, BART has its challenges. To be fair, I mean, the, the, the price per mile on Caltrain is significantly higher. I believe it's actually, I think it might be the highest in the nation. It, uh, it'll go down significantly now that they've electrified the, the system. No, no, I mean for the riders. I mean the fare oh, cost sorry. per mile of, of like, that you travel yeah, it's is not, very it's definitely high. Not ch- it's definitely not cheap at all. Um, but people ride it and the, the, the trains are packed. So um, granted, it is going up the peninsula, right? Um, for the most part. Uh, I don't see a ton of folks on the train from South County when I get on at Duradon, generally, when I go to the giant, the odd Giants game. Um, but I'm traveling during rush hour and those, those trains are packed. So uh, they're definitely getting people to pay the, the fares, whatever they happen to be. I have a clipper card, so I just I tap on, tag on, tag off, forget about it until I get an email that says, you're out of money. Um, anyway, but, but BART has its challenges that go way beyond what's happening now. I mean, the fact that they never went down the peninsula, they never came to San Jose in the first place, right? Because of the voters. Um, it created, it, it really uh, uh, curtailed and constrained the agency in terms of its ability to expand and, and increase ridership and have better ridership if it was more of a circumnavigating system, right? And we don't have, we didn't have to hodgepodge it between Caltrain and BART, right? Um, like most other metro areas have one train system, right? Or one light rail system, or light rail systems within a city, and then a metro uh, set up, you know, between cities. So it could work. It's just that we didn't let it work. So we're paying the price fifty years later. Well, you know, like you had mentioned, uh, Caltrain it it just goes from South County up the peninsula. It doesn't fork off anywhere. You know what I'm saying? Like Bart is. It's just going to be harder, I think, for them to reach whatever kind of goals they have because BART service is just this massive, massive area. And it's not not going to make money everywhere. No, it's very true. Um, I mean, I think if BART had originally, when it was originally uh, built out, had circumnavigated the bay, I don't think Caltrain would exist, at least not in the current form that it is now, um, because there would be no purpose for it. because it would be cheaper and easier and faster to, to just hop on BART from San Jose to San Francisco. Um, and the further and closer they get to San Jose, it's like it shaves minutes, minutes, minutes off of trips. So it's great. Um, but yeah, they, they made the, we made the bonehead mistake. I mean, we, you and I weren't there, our parents, um, and there were their parents, uh, you know, saying, well, we don't, we don't want to have anyone coming down here on the train that we may not like in San Jose. Right, people were uh, calling it Mobile Oakland for a while. Right, right. We don't want them, black people, basically, let's just say it, um, coming down to, to Tony Little San Jose, right, or Palo Alto. Um, so there you go. That racism, again, uh, has put us back uh, more than a, like a half a century, really, in our public transit goals here in the Bay Area. In the, in the progressive, you know, liberal, whatever you want to call it, Bay Area. Um, 50 years ago, it was not so... Uh, well. And it's also just like West Coast car culture, whereas the cities here are like the the sprawl is newer and the basically the the buildup of this happened after people started having cars. So this is LA is worse. 
like for transit LA oh, is worse but very much so I mean it's just it was just they had so much room to spread right here at least we are constrained at least in the South Bay by the, the valley right um, so we have hills on three sides and the bay on the north so there's only so far out we can go in the first place so we have built it all out so now we're paying the price and having to infill but it's yeah it's not like LA where it's like a desert right and they could just build and build West Covina East Covina East East Covina right um, just one shopping center, one mall, one strip community after another, um, as far as the eye can see, because there's just nothing constraining them. And there's big, big ass freeways there, like three or four parallel big ass freeways taking people east and west every day and north south. Um, so why not, you know, why not just hop in your car and put the AC on and zone out for an hour and a half? So they mentioned, they mentioned BART um, and they showed San Francisco, but they didn't mention Muni. I wonder if Muni's. Uh coming back a little bit like sf muni because san francisco is a public transit city like when i lived in the city i didn't know i didn't know hardly anybody with a car yeah why would you have one it's just it's so inconvenient when you're doing that much traveling around the city right and you're just uh, going to grab something or doing the errands right it's ridiculous um there's no parking and, and what you can find it's expensive and why getting the traffic and there's too much traffic now anyway so yeah always easier to hop on the, the muni i don't know uh it yet to be seen this seemed to be very bart focused even though it was supposed to be more yeah yeah and that's that's fine we'll, general story we'll see what happens um i i've been on bart a little bit more recently like recently than before because i live you know just around the way from it and cleanliness they they have brand new cars yeah i, I was impressed like i was on and i was using bart earlier this year a few months ago um yeah very clean but it, i enjoyed it but the, the only reason the old cars weren't clean is because they were like let's do fabric seats right and so everything that ever <laughs> happened on that seat yes. stayed on that seat yes i definitely did not notice the sort of rank 50 year old poo smell that you <laughs> right. get on those those old bart bart trains i mean God bless him. It's no one's fault. It's just that you know, fifty years of people pooping in the same seat just builds up, or even just sweating. I mean, just like just human beings mm, sweating like, on the poop. Yeah, yeah. It's just <laughs> now that the seats are, you know, they're still fairly comfortable, but they're, you know, you wipe them off and like it's fine. I, I think that it's it's going to get a better rep. Although what I did notice was that if if ridership does pick up we're going to run into a problem of nowhere to fucking sit. Cause there's a lot of empty space on empty unused space on those new cars. It seemed a little odd. Yeah. I mean, like they said, 50% uh, pre pandemic numbers. So not good. Um, but yeah, you know, poop in the Bart seats. That's the content you come to down ballot for every <laughs> week at seven thirty Pacific right here. The ninth best local news podcast in California. All right, let's move on to winners and losers where there are no winners. And if somebody happens to win, it was not, who the fuck you were rooting for. Um, we're going to talk or, more about California yeah. forever. This is this, this crosses over. This crosses over from uh, how the tech are you through down ballot and to the plex. Cause it covers. Oh, and the intellectual dollar tree. Cause we've been talking about Peter Thiel a little bit lately, uh, California forever. I ain't seen him there, but I smell him. <laughs> he's, he's probably got some sort of alias or shell corporation investing in it. You know, yeah, so many, like, many shell corporations investing in it. So we're going to be probably starting to keep an eye on Solano County's uh, Board of Supervisors meeting in the public comment show, which is yeah. part of the, the part of down ballot that is only live for people listening on the pod. There is a whole show after this. 
tune right. the fuck in. Where I drink like too much vodka and we watch local government meetings. And I think Solano County is going to get pretty spicy coming up pretty soon. So can't uh, wait. So people are already uh, voicing their concerns over this weird Norman Rockwell painting. Well, dystopian AI Norman Rockwell painting like town that they're just trying to drop in the fucking middle of nowhere <laughs> without like any, any like, infrastructure just the infrastructure in the town not out of the town it's a uh, it's gonna be like the roach motel for um for tech bros anyway let's see what the let's see what uh ktvu the fox affiliate around here has to say about all this let's do it new attend tonight a heated town hall meeting this evening between people who live in solano county and the developer of california forever a proposed new community in that area ktv's joey horta was at tonight's town hall he's here in studio with us tonight little venting session you could say for some of those in attendance yeah i got a little tense in there guys tonight and we'll tell you what's going on in there in just a sec all of it started out with a presentation from the ceo of this project that would see the formation of california's newest city but many of the people in the crowd there cut off the founder causing a passionate exchange. They don't want this happening in their backyard. We have an idea for how to make Solano County better. California forever. <laughs> this, they should have picked a guy without such a heavy foreign accent for this. They have so many investors. This is the guy they put forward. It's hilarious. Sorry, go ahead. They need a guy in like a cowboy hat, like kind of a folksy guy in a cowboy hat. But I want to see this guy in a cowboy hat, particularly with the <laughs> accent. That would be great. Tramick breaking down the project that would create the state's newest city. He's invested $900 million, buying up 60,000 acres, four miles from Travis Air Force Base, on mostly agricultural grazeland in southeast Solano County, causing an uproar. What about the Native American graves that you are going to be excavating and building on without even consulting us, the natives of this land? Tramick says the project will first create construction jobs and later permanent jobs within the development that pay above average. But former Vallejo City Council member Katie Meisner is worried the project would take away opportunities from existing communities. It sounds like from what you said about funding from the federal government to Solano County, we'll get more money for homeless that'll come here right. and we'll have all the homeless and you'll have a shiny new city up in Rio Vista and we'll get nothing. Others are concerned about taxes going up and urban sprawl. You did a bad investment, and we're not going to support shit as a shill to support your, your project. <laughs> Like you're a dumb investor. I like him. Cambridge-educated CEO who came to the U.S. 10 years ago as a Czech immigrant hopes the people of Solano County will have an open mind to the economic benefits. I think that a lot of the opponents of the project don't realize just this huge shot in the arm economically. He says by 2030, California Forever would be home to around 50,000 people and up to 400,000 in a couple of generations. Water rights are included in the land deal. This is one of the areas where the aquifer isn't depleted. The homes, he says, will be smaller and affordable. The community will be walking smaller, maybe People won't have to commute to make a living. But the overwhelming majority of this they will never have to leave buying it. We can't afford this housing and we will not go live on our own people's bones. But you will. 
Now, this is just the first town hall meeting. Again, several others are planning to move forward. They're planning to get signatures to get on next year's November ballot. If approved, this project would start. The construction would start in 2025 or 2026. Yeah, interesting debate. We'll see who comes out on top. Mm -hmm. All right, Joey. Oh, a ballot initiative? They're going to go down. Oh, that's going to be a fucking, that's going to be a bloodbath. It'll get on too. I mean, if it's these these guys fronting it, right? The California Forever folks. Oh, it'll absolutely get on. Um, people sign anything outside of Target, so, right? But uh, then, then when they go to vote for it, oh, the political ads about it are just going to be fantastic. Oh, it's going to be beautiful. I want to see the pro and the con. It's going to be glorious. I want to see who if the Sierra Club puts together like a hit campaign. That'd be great. Bunch of environmentalists, like eh, a bunch of old white ladies, like that former city councilwoman, like shaking their arms, like. You don't do this. Um, I did. I did get a sense, like a you know a get off my lawn kind of vibe from from her. Despite you know, I, I've obviously sympathized with her and Vallejo and the surrounding cities more than uh, these assets. Um, but you know, to, to I, I, the blanket statements about the homeless going here, going there because of this or that or the other thing. And first of all, calling them the homeless in the first place is just dude. That California forever just actually way. actually they just kill them. Yeah, I think that's probably what they do. They'll just put them out back and you know, whack them inside of the head and eat their flesh um, right. <laughs> in the in the cafe with the artisanal cupcakes. With you know, oh, they tell you it's bacon on that maple cupcake, but you know, maybe it's maybe it's Bob. I or just the I, dead, the I, dead relatives of these natives that are uh, pushing back. I very much like the guy that said, "Listen, you just made a bad investment." <laughs> right. I mean, that's a lot of money. Um, so uh, we shall see what happens. I mean, I don't know that even a ballot measure is all that is necessary other than to sort of uh, give them sort of a, the, the whatever political capital to, to do it. Um, it's still a land use decision. I still think this is an administrative decision that the voters don't necessarily have any say over um, unless they're like seriously amending some sort of plans that they that voters approved in the past. But anyway, or the charter of the county, maybe. But anyway, we'll see. That'll be fun. This is gonna be great. What a great year, twenty twenty four. Woohoo! <coughs> yeah, uh, twenty twenty four forever. I just, I just like the just the just the hubris to think you're just gonna drop a city out of the sky, essentially. <laughs> like just because you're rich. Like imagine, like like you can't do that. Like people think that's what happened in Las Vegas, and no, they didn't drop Vegas out of the sky. Vegas took forever to develop. Like yeah, was it? I mean, they tried to drop it out of the sky, and no one came. Right, and uh, they had to figure shit out. Yeah, it's. It's uh, it's fun. It's part and part of me would really like to see them try it, honestly. Um, but I love this whole fifty thousand people now and four hundred thousand people generations from now. It's like okay, so you're just creating a space where people inbreed and and just you know stay in the same genetic cohort forever because they don't have to leave, right? They don't. You just made it very clear. They don't have to go anywhere to work. They can go work at the coffee shop down the street or whatever the artisanal cupcake shop across the street, right? They can. They don't have to commute very far. They don't have to leave. Everything's right there. So yeah, they're they're kind of implying that they're creating a cult, <laughs> and they're uh, it's the the fun thing about it is like the images they're like oh this looks really folksy and it's like no somebody just like said hey da stable diffusion can you uh, yeah. can you make a, a, a semi urban dystopia uh, images for us that look like watercolor thank you is that AI that you just referenced there stable yeah, yeah. diffusion awesome I'm I'm woefully behind but that makes that's really that's pretty funny actually yeah. Any, anything like the images they have there, it just strikes me as just so scary, right? It could right. be like a twilight, twilight Zone vibe, right? Um, yeah, not fun. Not fun. No, not at all. So um, 
oh, this is gonna be juicy. This is gonna be great. They're having more town halls. Oh, this is great. I wonder if they'll live stream them. Oh, I bet they. I bet I can. I bet I could find that town hall, or find someone streaming it because this this is the developer doing it. So oh, it would it would probably they would have to stream it. But maybe the news there maybe there's something like live news feed from it that we can like KPIX will post uh, full raw content sometimes. So maybe they'll maybe they'll get out there. Maybe we can convince them to go out there and cover it. Somebody in chat just said they, that we should start referring to it as a 15-minute city so that the conspiracy theorists just, so that, like, Alex Jones starts yelling about it and stuff on his show. Well, Rome wasn't built in a day, but California Forever could do it in 15 minutes. So, up next, we got a Oakland Unified School District was warned about a propo- I don't even, we're just going to let the, we're just going to let the news roll here. I don't even know what the hell this is. Let's see what's going on here. You got it. This war is also triggering new controversy here at home. The Oakland School District is warning some of its teachers to follow policy after learning that several teachers may be organizing a pro-Palestinian teach-in next week. NBC's Valina Jones has the details. We're asking that all teachers in the whole city participate in this important event. In a video posted online, a group of OUSD teachers is calling on other district educators to join them in a December 6th pro-Palestine teach-in, where teachers are encouraged to share information from a Palestinian perspective. You have the ability to encourage students to think critically about what's going on, introduce them to new ideas, and have positive conversations about what's going on and what can be done. Right the now, video is posted by a Lincoln Elementary School teacher and an OEA member. So OEA previously issued what was described as a statement of support for Palestine and vowed to support educators who face disciplinary action for their teaching. After heavy criticism, they later condemned both anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. OUSD parent and spokesman for the group, Nate Landry, says he's seen the teaching resources and supports the education call. I'm concerned that the district is less responsive to the needs, to the experiences, and to the requests of uh, its Arab Muslim families and students. Um, my understanding is that the materials that OEA educators have put together do meet um, uh, do meet curriculum st- state standards. But school board president Mike Hutchinson says the teaching does not follow district policies and that both the district and board have had no involvement in the planned teaching. It's not our job to teach students what they should think. And we just need to be careful. That's why there's a process to develop curriculum, to establish curriculum. Um, Our teachers have academic freedom, but it's within certain parameters. Tyler Gregory, CEO of the Jewish Community Relations Council, is concerned the teach-in will be a biased lesson. Our concern is about accuracy, about fairness, and also keeping the students in the classroom safe with their identities. OUSD says they support all students and are aware of the teaching, saying in part, we are reminding all educators of their responsibility to adhere to principles of education and to keep their personal beliefs out of the classroom. In Oakland, Valina Jones, NBC Bay Area News. Nothing story. Yeah, I don't. I didn't hear anything from at least the teacher that they put that OEA put out there to speak for them. Um, and in that video, I heard nothing about anyone expressing their personal beliefs or hating on Israel or, or Palestine or either side and really heard about critical thinking, which is what we should be teaching our kids. And if it meets curriculum standards, hey, uh, I'm all for it. Um, but yeah, it's a nothing burger story. It's, it's like one or two parents probably who got upset, emailed the school board. School board said, well, fuck, I don't want to handle it. Let the superintendent do something about it. So the superintendent issues a statement, says, you know, 
basically we can't do anything about it, but <laughs> but we do not condone it. Um, so then if it does happen, they can they have plausible deniability. The 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 thing I thought that was weird was they were like, oh well, we need to talk. You know, we we don't want anti semitism or Islamophobia, and I'm like, well, that's not really the, the, the you're not really dealing with any of any any of that here. I don't think you're dealing. You're no. like you're it's well, probably the idea is like when you watch like especially like legacy national news, you get a pretty biased perspective um, on on all this, and yeah. I. I think it might just be the teachers may just be interested in examining media bias. Like, Mm. and I don't know, like that one guy's an elementary school teacher. I don't know what they're going to do with elementary school kids about this. Actually, I kind of hope nothing. This is more like middle school and up, maybe just high school where, where this would be like appropriate for certain kinds of classes or something like that. I don't know. Uh, you know, more power to them if they can figure out how to talk to kids about these things. These things are complicated enough for adults to deal with, frankly. And we get our pants in a bunch and start hitting on each other and hitting each other and hurting each other and killing each other over these things. And we're adults, right? So imagine how, or maybe maybe kids have the right perspective, right? Because they have no perspective. Um, maybe we're just too caught up in all of our shit after going through life. And kids might have better perspective about these things than we do. So maybe we could uh, ask the kids about bike lanes because our next story is about bike lanes in San Francisco. I'm sure, I'm sure they'd love it. Kids are all about bikes. Yeah, kids love bike lanes. Here, um, apparently, yeah. business owners uh, think that people on bikes don't spend money. Uh, more from uh, KPIX. We start with a bike lane battle in San Francisco. Small business owners say a center bike lane has driven away customers in a busy artery in the Mission District. The city installed the center bike lanes on Valencia Street six months ago in part of a year-long pilot program. Those bike lanes were put in the middle of the street as a way to keep cyclists safer on the busy roadway. Small business owners, though, say the design has driven away customers. Plus, some cyclists say it's created more danger since there's more competition for curb space because of parklets and loading zones. Business owners say they want that lane gone. This is the worst six months that we've ever seen. Um, at one time, this was a very vibrant neighborhood. Destination. We do depend on tourism. We depend on and without a doubt, this is this has shut down so many businesses. Now, the SFMTA says they have temporarily adjusted the type of duration on loading zones to try to create more parking in the area. They say they're going to update the board of directors on the pilot project's performance in early 2024. It's always bike lanes, always bike lanes. I, I do wonder why they put it in the center, because I think that is going to force you to go across traffic to get anywhere. Right. Um, it's got, it's not as safe. I'm sure for the cyclists, but then like, I don't know if they're, if it's not in the center and it's on the side, then you have all these people pulling, pulling out. Are you like more likely to get doored by somebody opening the door who isn't paying attention? Well, sure. And it's all parallel parking. So you're more likely like someone's starting to parallel park from the bike lane, right? When it's in that, especially in that narrow of a space. Um, so where these road diets have happened, I hate the phrase, but the um, road right sizing, um, generally the, yeah, the bike lanes are on the side and you do lose parking um, uh, with that uh, street parking. I didn't see any loss of street parking with this setup. Um, it looks like they're actually prioritizing the cars more than anything else while trying to take a nod to, yeah, we need to <laughs> provide more, uh, more uh, options for folks to get around. 
but this is definitely something where you know, I could, these same business people were probably in the public meeting when they were planning this and complaining about it. And that's probably why the bike lanes gotten moved to the middle of the road in the first place. I would, I would almost guarantee it. Um, because, uh, it, it just makes more sense. The best ones I've seen are, um, I mean, if you can't have a best bike lane integrated with a car, uh, thoroughfare is, uh, the bike lane is adjacent to the curb. Basically, I mean, it's out from the gutter, obviously. Um, then there's protectors and then parking, right? The people parking their cars have to cross the bike lane, not the other way around. Um, that's the best thing I've seen. That's, I, they have that in downtown San Jose, like on fourth street. Um, I've seen some of that, uh, where I, where I moved to too. Yeah. Some of that where you're, yeah. it, 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 was, it was weird at first, right? The first time I saw it, but sure. I was like, Oh, okay. This makes sense. Now, yeah. now the I, ostensibly now in that case, the parked cars are yet another barrier. Right. Between you yeah, and very much so. people traveling at 45 miles an hour or whatever it is. Right. So it's a little bit, it is, I think, safer for the cyclists. And at the end of the day, that, that they should be the one, they're the ones who are completely exposed on like a, whatever fiberglass, you know, coat rack, basically, you know, with, with wheels um, versus, you know, a couple ton, even my Prius, you know, is, is, a, is a couple tons, right? Could smush someone on a bike very easily. So uh, yeah, we should prioritize the people, the walking people, the bike, biking people, the people that are most vulnerable. Um, but we just consistently in our planning, at least here, like you said, it's the land of the car, home of the free. Um, we just consistently, uh, err on the side of the car and giving them more space. So this week, do you know who needs to get their shit together? Police. <laughs> Fucking always, right? <laughs> Multiple departments. Police officers, they've gone insane. <laughs> right. Even Gork, or even Gork could be known. So our first one's out of San Jose, and this is interesting. Uh, two police officers, offices, not officers. Is it offices? Anyway, facing international investigations. It's officers. There was a typo in their headline. I noticed. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, we'll we'll see what uh, we'll see what's going on with this. International. We begin this evening with new issues involving San Jose police officers. NBC Bay Area has learned that at least two more officers are now facing internal investigations on separate Ooh. incidents. Ooh, One typos all over the place. Not international investigations. Internal internal investigations. Gun accidentally inside San Jose City Hall. Uh, the incidents are the latest in a series of recent issues for the department. And Damien Trujillo is at police headquarters with the story you'll see only on NBC Bay Area. Sources with knowledge of the incident tell me a San Jose police officer working as uniform security officer accidentally fired his gun in a San Jose City Hall conference room recently. Jesus no one Christ. was injured, and it's unclear if anyone witnessed the shooting, but we're told that officer is no longer at City Hall. It's one Dude. of two recent and unrelated incidents involving San Jose police officers. Sources tell us the second incident involves an officer who got into a traffic accident in her patrol car but didn't report it. We're being told the officer settled the matter privately with the other driver, but that driver is complaining of pain. In a statement about the two incidents, the police department would only say, under current law, we cannot provide comment or information regarding personnel matters or any possible administrative investigations. Oh, that's really bad. The police department or other agencies have to do very uh, careful background checks and psychological, uh, not only uh, physical, but psychological examinations of these candidates who are going to have a badge and they're going to have a gun. Jaime Leanos is a civil rights lawyer who successfully sued the San Jose Police Department several times. 
He's now representing a woman who says she was groped during an arrest by former officer Matthew Dominguez. He's the same officer who was fired for allegedly touching himself sexually while at the possible victim's home investigating a crime. Leano says he will bring up the vetting and recruitment of Dominguez when his civil case goes to trial. The city is liable for police officers who engage in criminal behavior uh, during the course and scope of their employment as an officer. Leano's calls a recent rash of alleged incidents involving police troubling. They get added to a list that already includes the Dominguez case, the case of Officer Dejon Packer, who died of a fentanyl overdose last year, and another officer who was just fired for using the N-word in text messages. In her latest report, the independent police auditor noted that overall complaints against San Jose police officers are at a three-year high. A list of concerns that appears to be growing for the department mired in a slew of internal investigations. In San Jose, Damien Trujillo, NBC Bay Area News. Maybe Interpol should look at, into this. <laughs> International intrigue. Well, uh, yeah, masturbation and uh, uh, whatever. Uh, excessive force, guns going off in city hall conference rooms. This sounds like a soap opera. Um, I mean, I'm intrigued. I want to watch this. Like, give me some popcorn. <clears throat> some Keystone Cop shit, man. Yeah, seriously. Welcome to San Jose, though. Um, I mean, I haven't, like I said, I haven't on good authority. I don't know if I told you this or put this out there, but, you know, from very reliable sources that there's at least a third of, uh, the department here in San Jose that has time card violations under investigation. Like people didn't just simple stuff like that. Just guys over, you know, over billing basically the city, right. For their overtime that they're not working. Um, but a third, think about that. That's, That's like crazy because it usually goes the other hundreds. way, right? Like usually when it's stuff about hours and whatnot, it's usually wage theft by the employer. Right, right. So uh, <clears throat> yeah, there's, there's just, there's not a lot of people you can trust within that department right now. Um, so if, if there are any, you know, quote unquote, good apples, you know, in the bunch, you know, they've, they're going to get squeezed out, no pun intended. Um, well, well, pun absolutely intended, fuck that. Uh, very soon, right? Or soon enough. And then there'll be no, no one left to mind the ship, right? It'll be all assholes. Um, I have to imagine there's got to be at least a few good souls in the de in every department, just because otherwise it would just devolve into uh, you know autocracy of some sort. So um, there's got to be some someone who cares inside, but it's not enough. Certainly not a loud enough voice or a powerful enough voice to change anything. Uh, speaking yep, of now, which, we're gonna go up north to uh, Antioch, and there's some uh, police again. brutality that. That uh, uh, the video of it got released, and um, it's probably going to be police brutality. Yes. Graphic. We begin with troubling video in Antioch. Newly released body cam video shows a police officer firing a foam bullet at a suspect and then another officer deploying their police dog. We need to warn you here some of this video is graphic. Here's NBC's Jody Hernandez. The video is brutal, inhumane. The video is criminal. Um, the actions of these officers, um, really, it's beyond excessive force. That's how Contra Costa County Public Defender Ellen McDonald describes newly released body camera video that shows a police officer firing a less lethal round at a suspect who appears to have her hands up back in 2021. Less lethal, less lethal! Oh, she did have her hands up. Officer Devin Wanger fired a foam round, hitting the suspect's chest. Then, as the transgender woman is held on the ground, a police dog continues to bite her, leading to serious injuries to her arm. 
she's secured on the ground still have a police dog that's violently ripping apart her flesh. It's an incident that's now part of a federal indictment. Three Antioch police officers are being charged with civil rights violations and destruction of evidence for a long list of incidents. According to the indictment, after the October 2021 incident, officers joked about it. I want to see your body cam of this. Good work, man, texted Officer Mortesa Amiri. Officer Wanger replied, ha ha, thanks, bro. Just trying to get on SWAT, bro. I would say it makes me feel angry, sick, and disgusted. Community activist Frank Sterling says police abuse has been taking place in Antioch for far too long. He's glad it's all being uncovered. I feel like, number one, they need to be held criminally accountable for hurting and violating um, people's civil rights, beating people, sticking the dog on people. If, if someone like us did that to some, uh, somebody, we'd be in big trouble. We must uh, protect the public from these kinds of incidents and from officers that would target them and brutalize them in this way. We reached out to Antioch's acting police chief, who says the incident was already being referred to internal affairs before the FBI investigation even took place. He says the department is fully cooperating. In Antioch, Jody Hernandez, NBC Bay Area News. So it was hard to see because they covered the person to uh, sort of, I guess, suppose protect their identity. But it did look yeah, to me yeah. like you could see their hands like this. Yeah, it didn't seem like, dude, I don't know if there was a cut there, but it did not seem like policeman uh, hesitated at all in terms of like i'm coming to the scene i'm loading my weapon right and i'm or i went back to my car i'm coming back to the scene and loaded my weapon and i'm gonna raise it and shoot boom like i don't i didn't see any hesitation i didn't see any like thought about like should i shoot should i not shoot what's going on and not as though that dude was in any sort of or any of them were any sort of physical danger it's from what i could tell um seemed like this person was having you know Maybe they were having an episode because they were being attacked by the police. You know, who knows? Maybe they were just trying to get some Skittles. Um, so it, this is, you know, it's all too common apparently in Antioch, um, but not not uncommon <laughs> anywhere else. I mean, I mean, listen, you got to be up to some shit for the FBI to be like, you're copping too aggressively. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> the FBI's history of is is of copping too aggressively, right? That is yes. their. That is their yeah. historical, le- that is their legacy, and uh, some some would say their mission. Yeah, if they're investigating you, then you've got some problems. Right, right, and well, I mean, we'll it's see what happens. But thing. they've had a, they've, that's, I mean, San Jose is like a hold my beanbag gun though. Here they're trying they're trying to catch up to Antioch, which is uh, crazy. Right. You would right. think that you would think that a city like San Jose could say, "Hey, you know, we actually were a bigger city than Antioch, and we don't have all the problems there that they have there with their cops, but they can't because they do." They right? do, right? They're escorting. You know, the chief is escorting guys who masturbate on victims. You know, out the door. Um, like I had a badge. It's just so disgusting. Um, anyway, <laughs> so yeah, get your shit together, all police departments, but especially San Jose and Antioch this week. It's just not looking good, and it seems like once a week there's another story from both of these cities. Frankly, so. Um, makes me kind of ashamed to be in San Jose and, um, but you know, all we can do is keep trying to make things better. That's why we're here. Head down ballot. Yep. Yeah. That's why we're here. I don't use the soundboard enough during down ballot. So we're going to move on to down ballot watch where the stories are everything on this show's political, but the stories are more uh, election driven. I would say tend to be See? more election or like local government process specific driven. Correct. Correct. Um, and speaking of government process, the first story up here is 
a San Francisco advocacy group that is pushing for charter reform, not to you know take power away from elected officials, but to give more power, in fact, to the mayor uh, in San Francisco, um, who already has executive power. So we're going to learn more about what they're proposing and when it might be on the ballot and how they're planning to get it there. Now, earlier today, an advocacy group called Together SF Action spoke about plans for reform that will be on next year's ballot. ABC 7 News reporter Suzanne Fodd is live in the newsroom with more on this. Good afternoon, Suzanne. Julian Dan, Together SF Action says it's pushing a bold reform package. It says the people of San Francisco are tired of waiting for change. Most voters view the mayor as the CEO of the city. More and more people seem to be frustrated with the direction of San Francisco and what's happening when it comes to problems such as the fentanyl crisis, homelessness, crime and housing. A civic engagement group called Together SF Action says the change the city needs starts with amending the city charter. The powers of the office of the mayor have been whittled down by mostly politically driven measures. This has resulted in no one being in charge and no one for voters to clearly hold accountable. Together, SF Action proposes a reform package. The two charter amendments include cutting the number of city boards, commissions, and advisory bodies by half. And that cuts the number of commissions down from 130 to 65. And empowering the office of the mayor to hire and remove department heads without commission approval. These two measures provide clear authority over who's in charge in San Francisco government so that voters can get beyond the endless finger pointing that we've been stuck in now and be able to hold elected officials accountable. Some business owners and San Francisco residents back the proposed changes. If you want to go find an answer to a, something related to homelessness, for instance, there are more than four commissions that say they're responsible for it. Bill Maggs believes streamlining government will be a big help. Why in the world do we need 130 commissions? Why do 1,200 people, you know, need to be able to, you know, share power with the rest of the city government? Max Young owns several businesses, including the Bamboo Hut on Broadway. He used to own Mr. Smith's bar in the mid-market area, too. My business on 7th and Stevenson was directly impacted by drug dealers taking over my corner, and I had to shut it down in 2019. Um, and I'm still unable to open. Young hopes the charter amendments will help make San Francisco streets safer. This holds people accountable. We need the mayor to be accountable. We need our leaders to be accountable. Right now, if the mayor can't hire and fire her leaders, we've got a problem. Next month, Together SF Action will start gathering signatures to qualify for the November ballot. Now, I reached out to several commissioners as well as supervisors and community advocates, and they say they're not prepared yet to comment on this measure because they don't know much about it. Live in the newsroom, Suzanne Fawn, ABC 7 News. Okay, Suzanne, thanks very much. <clears throat> so they essentially just, because uh, San Francisco already has what's called a strong mayor, where they are, <clears throat> it's not like, like we've talked about San Jose when it comes to actual uh, policy, the mayor is just another vote on the board. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> she is the the mayor in San Francisco is the chief executive. They are they are incorrect. They, they they absolutely are the chief executive officer. Right, and so they want to give the mayor more power. Uh, apparently, um, now I, I'll give I'll give them this. One hundred and thirty commissions is a lot. That sounds like a lot. Um, and from what I understand, commissions in San Francisco have more power than they do, say, in San Jose or other cities where they're pretty much advisory bodies. They have no, you know, no real power outside of the planning commission to do permits. Um, so uh, I, I don't know. You're right. I don't, I don't know if that's really the problem, um, if that's what's getting in the way of, you know, keeping the streets clean enough and safe enough and 
free of uh, drugs and homelessness enough for these folks who are backing this initiative. Um, it seems like a, a lot more of the doom loop uh, than anything else and a blame game. Um, and I'm sure once they find that, you know, they're successful and they eliminate the 130 or they, they cut the commissions in half and they give the mayor uh, more power to hire and fire, um, I'm sure that things will change. I'm sure that they will be satisfied with the results. Um, but welcome to San Jose, where the mayor doesn't, you know, like you said, doesn't have any power at all to hire and fire outside of uh, the, the council hires the city manager as a whole. The mayor has no ability to you know, single anyone out or f force that process. Um, and with any of the directors, uh, and really the city manager makes the appointment and recommends someone to the council and the council pretty much votes up or down on that recommendation. They don't go out and find and vet, you know, the next police chief or the next planning department head, right? The city manager's office does that. And the council's just there to validate them or, or not. Um, but yeah, the, the mayor in San Francisco already has much more power than that. Um, and this is just blame game. Just trying to find someone to blame and, and pointing fingers. So <clears throat> if this wasn't attached to like giving the mayor more power, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for basically any city to kind of take a look at all of the different commissions and the you know, different different organizations yeah. within city government and try to maybe combine them where necessary or create more if necessary, split things off when it's necessary. But that's that yeah. doesn't seem to be what's going on here. This this smells like the, the the chamber of commerce to me. Yeah, I don't know who you know who devised this. I don't know what research they did to back it up or what kind of justification they're using. Like, why cut it in half? Is it just an easy way of saying you know just an easy way thing to do? Oh, we're going to cut it in half. Um, or has there really been thought put into like how these commissions would be restructured? What would that look like? San Jose did similar, similar thing. San Jose only has, you know, 20 odd commissions, 30 commissions. Um, uh, and there was a restructuring a few years back, ostensibly to save money, even though the commissions really don't take up a whole lot of the budget when it comes down to it. Um, but, uh, th there was some streamlining done and there was some consolidation done. And, um, you know, it's, it's good to, review that every now and then it's good to review the charter every now and then but yeah these these folks just seem like um uh doom loopers chamber of commerce uh shills um who are trying to just blame anyone but themselves yeah yeah well you know we'll we'll see what happens i <clears throat> i think i don't know if this will get on the ballot because i don't i don't think I don't know like what, what the pitch is, right? When you try to get uh, signatures for this, I can't think of like a, like, Oh, the government's, uh, the, the, the San Francisco government's too big. People will be like, get out of here. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, we'll see how, how, how far it goes. But, uh, again, another juicy measure for the November ballot. Probably. I don't think they would have enough time for, for March at this point. So we're going to move across the bay over to Alameda County, the county that I now live in. And uh, yeah. they are trying to recall the district attorney. And yes. it looks like the people who are trying to recall the district attorney are accusing the uh, the board of supervisors of meddling. This is a very down ballot -y. This oh, is a very, very down so. story. Yeah, we've been following this the recall for quite a while um, as they've begun collecting signatures um, uh, in a very similar case to the San Francisco recall of uh, Chesa Booty. Um, but yeah, uh, so these are uh, proponents of this recall who are upset because the rules are just so complicated for, you know, recalling someone. Folks, 
she's a disaster. She's burning down this community. Now at five. No, she's not. In the effort to recall Alameda District Attorney Pamela Price tonight. Those who want her removed say the county is interfering with the process. Good evening, everyone. I'm Mike Meebeck. And I'm Julie Hayner. Our crime reporter, Henry Lee, is here now with the in the newsroom. Our crime reporter? This is a, what, whatever. The latest on what's He looks like the organized crime reporter with that Mike suit. Julie, at issue are differences in the recall process between state and county law. The supervisors say they will have the voters decide, possibly, on both whether price should be removed and under what procedures. They have created a mount of confusion with the community because they have no idea what's going on. Recall price. Recall Organizers price. of a recall effort against Alameda County DA Pamela Price accused the Board of Supervisors Tuesday of meddling. Just wait until we do recall Pamela Price and then they can look at the charter to see what parts are unconstitutional. But the supervisors later voted to have citizens decide in March as to whether the county's decades-old charter as it pertains to a recall should be aligned with state law. In response to people saying that we're interfering, if, if your board does this, they're interfering, they're taking away the people's rights, the people still have to vote. Still, recall organizers say this won't affect their efforts. Her policies are horrible. Recall proponent Chris Moore pointed to Saturday's armed robbery of a guard protecting a truck at the 7-Eleven at Grand and Mandana in Oakland. The robbers disarmed the guard and stole cigarettes and tobacco. They know their Auntie Pam will not prosecute them. If they walk up with Auntie fist, Pam, it's the same yep. as holding a gun to somebody's head. It's not fair. It's not right. And we don't want these other families to go through this. We Patricia Harris blames Price for giving the man who shot and killed her son, Jaron Purvis, a plea deal for manslaughter instead of the original murder charge. Our son did not receive justice. And the only justice that we can get for him is to have her recalled. An attorney for Price's campaign says some of those collecting signatures for the recall are from outside Alameda County or not registered voters. The registrar has a duty to see whether those circulators are registered voters and if they're not the registrar has to just throw away all the signatures on that petition. The ACLU has come out against the recall saying in a statement in part to blame DA Price for crime problems that have been decades in the making is blatantly dishonest. We urge voters to educate themselves on the issues and reject the politics of fear which are a cynical effort to roll back criminal justice reforms. Ultimately, Price recall organizers say they already have plenty of signatures to put the matter on the ballot. The registrar of voters says they will prepare staff to validate those signatures. Live with the newsroom, Henry Lee, KTVU, Fox 2 News. All right, Henry, thank you. So I didn't know that the people collecting signatures also have to be registered in the in the place where the, the recall where the signatures are being. That's that's that seems like a good rule. Yes, you have to, if you're collecting, um, you have to be registered in the county you're collecting in, right? Um, seems like a, it seems like a good rule. Yeah, and you're supposed to be collecting. Pro it, it, so the way these work, actually, you actually have to submit um, signatures. You can't just go to, like, the Secretary of State's office in Sacramento and dump all of the signatures you've collected across California on their desk, right? You actually have to deliver them to each individual county. Um, so if you haven't, so a lot of times with the big paid efforts, they're really just focusing on populous counties and counties, populous counties where they have favorable numbers, right? For uh, either you know, liberal and or conservative measures, right? Um, so they generally don't even collect in all 58 California counties, but you have to deliver to each individual county. So anyone collecting, anyone signing that person's petitions have to be registered in that county, um, which is why they focus on the big ones because they just want to get it, you know, get it done, make sure they get the numbers that they need. Um, but yeah, I don't know what the, 
I, I don't know what needs to be done to align you know, Alameda County recall law with state recall law. Uh, a lot of you know, counties and cities are doing this, trying to get in alignment. The state's you know, pushing that um, and having standardized recall procedures. Um, but I would imagine whatever it is, if it's pissing these folks off, it's probably making their jobs harder. <laughs> so it's either like you know, a higher threshold or more scrutiny of what they're doing, right? Uh, something like that. I don't know what else uh, could be pissing them off this much. <laughs> or they're just, just confused and they think anything... Um, you know, any, anything at all that relates to recall has to do with them. Um, and it's, it's all, it is all about them and their anti. Well, we'll see. We'll see here. I, I have a feeling, I bet this recall effort's a little disorganized. Oh, absolutely. The, the problem is that they're, they've got backing and they've got money and resources behind them, right? There's all those people standing behind the people talking um, who are backing it, right? And they don't say anything they're they're you know they're the ones fronting it so they, they have that going for them right so that does overcome incompetence and disorganization if you have enough money and enough resolve um from the backers but yeah not not the most not the sharpest tools in the shed and i, I don't think they'll be successful at the end of the day i think you're right um i think people have seen through this shit now and um i really appreciate the aclu's statement that was probably the most poignant thing that could be said about this whole situation and I, I, I don't even think it's that people see through it. I think it's that people, <clears throat> people, first of all, I think people outside of like Oakland and Berkeley probably don't even care, right? <laughs> like who the DA is. Like, they got bigger problems, you know, like, you know, they got much bigger problems. And I feel for folks who, you know, don't get justice for their kids who get killed. That That's awful, you know, but it ain't, it ain't her fault. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe you can work together with her to, get better reforms in place so that the next mom, the next family doesn't or can get justice. That would be what I would do. I hope. I hope. If if you know the worst happened. Yeah. Anyway. We'll we'll see. We'll see. I mean, like, you know, just like I know a lot of people here in in this area and uh like my my parents are kind of a good barometer for like what's going on with just a regular especially like the old people in in this sure. South Alameda County. And they don't know anything about this matter and are probably just not going to sign the fucking petition if they see it, right? Sure, sure. I mean, they sound like they already have it done, so they probably focused in specific areas. They Some of us probably never see it. Um, but it'll be on the ballot, so uh, we'll have we'll cover it all the way to the bitter end and hopefully the triumphant end for DA Price. That's so, the bullshit. So, speaking of, um, speaking of stuff that's going to be on the ballot, um, yeah. there's a... An empty uh, house seat coming out of the uh, coming out of the mostly peninsula area, and we got a pe- people familiar to this show are uh, running. First one is Evan Lowe, and he was uh, the mayor of Campbell, where I used to live for a while, and he served on a public transportation board of some kind that I for- kind of forget about and forgot what it was. And he's uh, now BTA. in the uh, state legislature. Correct, and, and he's been um, an assemblyman, and. Uh, He's announced his candidacy. Let's see what the let's see what let's see what's going on here. Yeah. A Silicon Valley politician is officially running for Congress. Our cameras were rolling when Assemblyman Evan Lowe filed his paperwork in San Jose earlier this morning. Lowe is running for Congresswoman Anna Eshoo's seat, who is retiring. 
The 16th Congressional District represents parts of the South Bay, Mid-Peninsula, and San Mateo County. Lowe says one of his main focuses will be to keep Silicon Valley competitive on a global stage as well as basic issues like public safety. I'm inspired by Congressman Anna's issue, a sense of legacy and service, governing uh, with dignity and being able to get above the fray. Look, we all know that politics is divisive. Congress is very divisive in this period of time. I'm not naive by this challenge, but I'm up for it to making sure that we advocate and fight for what we know is right in California. Lowe says he has big shoes to fill, but he's up for the challenge. Two people have already announced a run, Santa Clara County Supervisor Joe Simidian and Rishi Kumar. Former San Jose Mayor Sam Licardo also filed paperwork, but has not yet made a final decision on a run. We're interviewing Lowe tonight during our 7 p.m. newscast. Ooh, so we'll, we'll have see. that I, next week. I think the race here, and we, we have the, the next clip. Maybe we'll just roll the next clip, run the next clip, and then uh, then then kind of talk about the, the dynamics at play here. Let's do it. Former uh, mayor of San Jose also seems to uh, be running. This is Mayor uh, Mayor Sam Licardo, and um, we'll, we'll see what the news has to say about his. Uh, he filed paperwork. He hasn't made any official announcements yet. Well, former San Jose Mayor Sam Licardo has taken a step toward a run for Congress. Today, Licardo filed the paperwork to run for the House seat that Anna Eshoo is about to vacate. Eshoo said last week that she won't be running for re-election next year. Santa Clara County Supervisor Joe Simidian announced his candidacy yesterday. Okay, well, that, that was quick. Licardo, like I mean, if he filed the paperwork, he's running. Yeah, no, uh, very much so. And he's indicated to everyone that he is. He's making calls and making the rounds. Um, the nice part about being connected here, you hear all the cheese and all the gossip. Um, I, don't, I don't believe most of it, but um, occasionally you just hear enough of it that it's true. If there's enough smoke, there's fire. Um, just like last week, I was mentioning that it's more than likely Evan is in, and sure enough, he is in. So uh, yeah, the, this actually, the district actually comes into San Jose and Cam Campbell. It includes Campbell, uh, I believe now, and some parts of West San Jose, including Willow Glen. Um, but all the way up to, uh, yeah, Palo Alto where, uh, Mr. Simidian, uh, is from. So, uh, yeah, it very, be a very interesting race so far. A whole bunch of dudes. Um, yeah. although, uh, you know, again, Evan represents the, the Gaijin community. So he would be your, your diversity candidate if you had one. Um, well, Rishi, obviously no American community. Um, but, uh, he's from Saratoga. I've seen his house. <laughs> he's not man of the people. Um, We'll see what happens in this one. We'll, we'll, we'll have that interview with Evan next week, more than likely on down ballot. And uh, we'll keep tabs on who else might jump into this race. It could be this field right now. Um, but even if it is just this field, that's that's Evan. Between Evan, Joe Smidian, and Sam Licardo, those are some heavy hitters. That's a, be a pretty interesting race. Um, and it's going to be a quick, dirty bloodbath because it's coming up in March, which means people get their ballots for this election the first week of February. So we're talking two months. You have two months sprint to raise as much money as you can and, you know, communicate with as many voters as possible and, you know, basically demand that they go out and vote for you in a, what's probably going to be a low turnout March primary election. So unless this Samidian guy has a bunch of grassroots support that I'm unaware of because I'm not like super familiar with the politics here, my guess is that Licardo is going to be the one to beat. Um, and then that it'll be Evan Lowe, like kind of from his left. Uh, so Licardo has a lane, right? He has probably the biggest lane, um, here. Um, Simidian has the benefit of having been close to Eshoo and her political team and, and, uh, and 
um, space for a very long time. So he more than likely had some inkling this was coming down the pipes. And he's also been angling to run for this seat as soon as Anna retired for many years. So he's got $600,000 in the bank already um, uh, in a federal account. And Evan has to basically start from scratch because it's a whole different scenario raising money for federal races than from state races. You can't mingle money. So while Evan's the most prolific fundraiser in the Democratic Party at the state level, he can't use any of that money to run for this office. Um, so he's starting from scratch, and so is and so is Sam technically, but Sam has a more uh, a broader base to build from, both with voters and with. Just donors. curious if if Evan Lowe was raising money to run to <clears throat> for his reelection campaign, what happens to that money now that he is no longer running for reelection in the state senate? That's a fat or, or state assembly. That's a fabulous question. Um, there are, are a lot of options available to him um, if he should be successful and if he should not. You know, if he wants to close out, they, he can keep the account open. You could keep the account open ostensibly forever. Um, you have to file like a $50 fee, I think, annually. You have to do a twice annual report of any contributions and expenditures. Um, but if you're not doing anything with it, it's really a, that's really just pro forma. Um, so you could keep it open forever. You could give back the money to your donors uh, in a pro rata sort of format, right? Um, obviously, you probably spent some of the money that they gave you, but you basically give it back to everyone who gave um, that money in some sort of fashion. Um, I think you can donate it to the general fund of the state, right? If you wanted to just put it into the, you know, spending on whatever. <laughs> uh, and then I don't know about charitable donations. Um, in San Jose, they let me, or they let candidates in the past um, make charitable donations with um, remaining campaign funds. Um, but I don't know that that's still the case. And I don't know if it's the case in this, with that. He, he's got a good chunk of money, um, like millions. Uh, so it would be it'll be very interesting to see what happens to all of that because he can't run concurrently. He's the only one. There might be one other state senator that jumps in, but Evan, out of all these people, is the only one who can't. Um, he can't run for both of his seats at once, so he has to give up his assembly seat when he would have two more terms theoretically on his term limits. Sumidian is termed out at the Board of Supervisors, so he's done after this year or after next year. Gotcha. So he has nowhere else to go. So this is perfect timing for him. Okay, well that's that's interesting. I'm uh. <clears throat> Unless, you know, I'll take a closer look at this uh, Semitian guy. Uh, I don't know enough about him, but uh, so far I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it's Evan Lowe. Um, the one thing I do like about Sam Licardo, and it's the one of the only things I really like about um, our, our governor, Gavin Newsom, is I do think that he's going to be not too shy about uh, jabbing at his opponents, like his political opponents once he gets to the house and i think evan lowe would be uh, less inclined to uh go after dumb fucks in the house of representatives at least early on you know um but uh, he's young and uh he he would have to endure a lot i think of that um but he could find a space pretty quickly i actually pegged evan to be you know rising national star i could see him in a you know federal a secretary role or running for you know, fuck, running for president. I could absolutely see Evan running for president one day. Um, and this could be the next stepping stone in that process. Who knows? Yeah, he's um, still young. He's younger than I am. He's 40. He just he just turned 40. So uh, uh, he, the sky is the limit for him. Um, and he's got a great personal story. He's got a great background. And he's got the right, you know, he's got a lot of friends. Um, and he hasn't, he's done that thing of not pissing off too many people, which is usually what you have to do to, to run for higher office. Um, well, he's got time. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Why do you think I never got elected? Um, anyway, enough about me. Let's talk about Mayor Ed 209 and what he's going to do to clean up our streets and our parks. Oh, 
this is this is fantastic for a city's gateways i i imagine i know what this means but we'll see we'll see what i don't think it means the train station (laughs) near the train station adjacent all right let's see what's going on here Okay, how important is a first impression? Well, to San Jose, it's now a priority. Today, the mayor and local leaders launched a massive beautification project targeting so-called gateways into the city. NBC Bay Area's Robert Honda joins us from downtown to tell us which area was made over first and why. We're here on Santa Clara Street, and it is often the first area visitors see when they come into downtown San Jose. So it got all the attention today. This is the view coming into San Jose off Guadalupe Parkway toward SAP or downtown. And the city wants those who see it to be impressed. First impressions matter. And with that declaration, Mayor Matt Mahan, Councilmember Omar Torres and other leaders rolled up their sleeves to finish the cleanup of West Santa Clara Street at Highway 87, possibly the most visible city gateway since it is the main entrance to SAP Center and San Jose Sharks games, as well as downtown. These pics taken over the past several months by the mayor's office show what kind of makeover needed to take place. The truth is, for a long time, we took our eye off the ball. The city didn't feel as safe and clean. Look at him all pretending to paint. Fundamental challenges around Up, crime, down. homelessness, the look and feel of the city. And we have to get back to basics and build momentum again. Today's cleanup is one of 11 targeted gateway sites. And as you can see, many are at intersections or entrances off freeways and expressways. And those working on them, including Caltrans, point out these are not simple statewide projects. Moving out homeless encampments and cleaning litter is time-consuming and expensive. We've invested, we've talked about investment here, $16.6 million in the, in the people, in the equipment, in the, in the vehicles that we need to, to do this job. People who live in the nearby condo complex agree it's good for business and peace of mind. Actually, I walk here every day and uh, walk by here and uh, makes me feel much safer and obviously it's much cleaner, so it just makes me feel better about my uh, day-to-day. Some homeless advocates have criticized the cleanup plan, saying there are more important priorities, but the mayor says improving the city economy benefits everyone and accommodating those being displaced is always going to be a part of every plan. In San Jose, Robert Honda, NBC Bay Area News. Dude, this is the first of all, that's a place the bike party meets and they better not make it impossible for, for, for a bike party to meet at that place to start the fucking event. Seems like they're putting lots of trees up. Oh, that's and, not going to stop bike party from meeting there. That's fine. No, no. And especially this, the, they're just still growing trees too. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's they're going to plant a few trees. They're going to rake up the, whatever the rocks, <laughs> um, they're going to, you know, make, make it clean for a day. Right. And then move on. Um, and take pictures and have a press conference or have the mayor um, painting. <laughs> and pretending to paint. <laughs> pretending to paint. Up, I just feel like Mr. Miyagi. Up, He's like down, you know, up, long, long strokes, up, down. Um, oh, yeah, no, fucking, just, it was like, a, it was like, a, remember Karate Kid? Paint the fence, paint the fence. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> He's just sort of dabbing at the... Watch it. It would have been great if somebody in like uh, somebody in like you know work clothes would have come along and been like, "Sir, stop, stop trying to help, sir. dude." Yeah, dude. Here, no, just came and like helped him. Like, young man, here. This is how you paint. <laughs> Dip. Don't be afraid to get splattered. You're trying not to get painted yourself. You're painting. 
come on <laughs> right come on youngling or or if you go. wear a suit out there because you're there as like a, a suit then don't paint right well I, i'll give him credit at least that at least he wasn't wearing the beautify sj shirt over the suit which he has done in the oh, I, he yeah, has, I, I hate when i see people doing that it's he, like he has just wear jeans absolutely. and a, just wear jeans and the t-shirt for fuck's sake yeah he's absolutely rocked the t-shirt over the dress shirt at like hastily organized press conferences um in the past it's it's sad it's really sad it's a bellerman thing i'm sorry he didn't know uh, he didn't want to take his shirt off and uh take everybody to the gun show <laughs> that's for a uh, monday night live that's this, for the san jose stage what is fundraiser every what is it, sun's out guns out <laughs> his guns would blind you if you were actually in the sun uh, that guy's probably pasty as hell he never gets out oh so we're we're coming to the end of this here podcast recording we have a and another thing and there was no a vehicle versus structure this week so everybody gets to, gets to turn in tune in next week if you've been keeping a score on a vehicle <laughs> versus structure here but i think it's been about 50 50 so far so far uh, there weren't any this week there were sometimes weeks where there's like four or five and it's hard to pick which one usually it's the one that has the least amount of damage or you know human damage in it um and the most humor uh, so yeah nothing nothing came up this week so i'll keep keep my eyes peeled maybe that house on jackson will get run into again but this is right up my alley this one this right. story is uh we're just gonna find out what the drunkest city in california is i have a ooh, i'm not gonna make any guesses i'm not gonna make any uh, bakersfield it's campbell oh no, it might kidding. be no i'm just kidding it's not campbell well, that'd be great though there's a there's a three block area where it might be the drunkest three blocks they they will also they also explain how they got to the metric too so it's not just sort of like you know uh anecdotal like some drunk asshole just was named the drunkest city in california now there's a new study by the financial website 24 7 wall street it looked at the percentage of women and men over the age of 18 who reported heavy drinking in metropolitan areas around the country according to that report 23.2 percent of adults who live around santa rosa and petaluma say they drink excessively so it's self-reported. Uh, interesting. I mean, that's that's a pretty high number of people to self-report that they drink excessively. Like, I don't know even alcoholics who would admit to drinking excessively. In fact, most alcoholics deny that they that's, have a problem. Is it just? So. Is it just like? Is it just like people who think they drink a lot of white wine? <laughs> More than likely, <laughs> just they don't realize. You know, it's, I, it's yeah. I drank basic. a whole, drank a whole box last month. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't. I, I I certainly wouldn't qualify myself as an excessive drinker. Um, but then again, you know, who knows? It's it's all relative. I guess it depends. I guess, like, what do you consider to be excessive drinking? Like, my doctor and I would probably have two different opinions on what excessive drinking is. I, I was just about to say, it, what's the doctor's definition versus yours? Like, I, I I don't drink very often. In fact, like this podcast has been pretty much my only reason to drink um, since I you know got covid and went on the keto diet and tried to get healthy again um but i love i like a good beer so i have a beer once a week during the podcast and i reported that to my doctor and she gave me this sort of look like you have a beer once a week on the same night just you know it's regular drinking so therefore it must be bad right i'm scheduling drinking um so yeah i got the, the well, down the nose kind of look what, for one that, uh, one beer a week what that indicates to me is that you just don't have time to do it any other time and you like beer and so you're like hey you know i'm not, i don't like i don't get to see i don't get to see dave very often and I'm i don't on, get to have beer very often so i'm gonna fucking yeah. multitask especially now i don't have I, you know I'm, uh, the good wife is blessedly putting baby down i don't have any other things you know pulling me one way or the other um 
I'm in my like little cloistered office. Um, so yeah, this is this is my me time. So I absolutely I'm gonna use it to embrace my 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 desires. Um, but mostly for weed and alcohol. Well, this week our um our connection and your laptop seem to have held up. So do you want to read out the show? I'll celebrate by doing so. Yes, indeed. Um, thank you as always, producer Dave, for joining me uh, and the councilman on Down Ballot. We do this every Tuesday night at 7.30 p.m. Pacific, except when we don't. Um, just listen for uh, big, small towns and you know where you're at is where you're supposed to be. Uh, remember that it's very important in this day and age to get vaccinations, especially for the flu, but definitely for COVID and mask up when you're in public, especially around little babies like mine. Uh, and if you want to wear pants, that's cool, but it's totally optional. We're going to go to Audible Smoke, and I want you to stay tuned as the light turns red and public comment gets underway. It's going to be lit. Late. Peace. To get the party started Pick up my phone just to check and see who's calling Dress up real nice for the ladies at the bar And I'm driving in my car just to get to where they are Here at the local scene is where I plant my feet It's where I smoke my cigarette and I hold my drink I look at all my friends, they're all blazing greens Here at the front of the stage waiting for MTV Where are those guys who's standing next to me With a pipe in his hand ready to blaze for me About five minutes later we're all singing We now get the fuck up on Just when the magic starts kicking in I hear we left playing and you know it's time to head in Alright everybody, now it's time to grab a new drink Spark it if you got it and then pass it to me yeah. We do what we want And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band We do what we want What we want to do And what we want is to jam So sit back and Enjoy the band, enjoy that band Last up on the field for the show tonight It's down and dirty and five, so we're headed outside Just spark up another joint, now who's got my light? A stoner E, of course, shouldn't you be inside? I'm all up in this bitch, being who I gotta be I'm fucked up like the US economy The truth is, is that I don't think logically Stoner E, take you on a psychedelic odyssey now inside motherfuckers is rockin' me And outside shit we smoke a lot of broccoli Rockin' the rollie, all that sexy girl be jockin' me Ain't too drunk to fuck, but I'll probably do it sloppily We do what we want, what we wanna do And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band Dance with the band and enjoy the band We do what we want what we want is to jam, so sit back and enjoy the band.